Good morning, everyone. There was a man named Abraham Who had a wife so fine Sarah was her name Together they would walk in faith And now that two of them Are in heaven's hall of fame they're just two sinners saved by grace Who walked by faith and not by sight Yes they did And saw God's power in their lives They served the Lord in all His might Yes they did Yes they did Now when the Lord called Abraham Sent him to a land that was far away from home But Abe was not afraid to go For by his faith in God throughout that land he roamed He was a sinner saved by grace Who walked by faith and not by sight Yes he did And saw God's power in his life he served the Lord in all his might He was God's faithful friend The one God swore that he'd defend By his faith he won God's praise The man who walked in all God's ways Yeah, yes he did Yes he did Now Evan Sarah had no child Though God had promised them A bouncing baby boy the two had gotten very old It seemed impossible But their faith would bring them joy They're just two sinners saved by grace Who walked by faith and not by sight Yes they did And saw God's power in their lives They served the Lord in all His might Yes they did Yes, they did. So Abe's the father of our faith. He trusted in the Lord, as did his faithful wife. Two humble souls who walked with God. We must now imitate the way they walk through life. They're just two sinners saved by grace. Who walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, they did, and saw God's power in their lives. They served the Lord in all His might. They walked by faith and not by sight. They walked by faith and not by sight. They walked by faith and not by sight. All right, I'll be right back. Let me hang this guitar up.
All right. Good uh, morning again. Good to see you. Well, I can't see. You can see me. <laughs> Probably not good to see me. <laughs> Anyways, good morning to all of you who are listening to me, watching me live or listening or watching the recordings. Good to have you all with us. And uh, we're going to uh, continue our study of uh, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, which actually was to the various Christian communities throughout the Roman Empire, as we pointed out in our introduction and also in our study of verse 1. Today we'll be continuing, we'll be in our second hour of verse 3, and we'll be noting the second declarative statement in this verse, which teaches us that the Father blessed the church age believer by means of every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing. So that is going to be our lesson today. Very cool passage and a good, uh, great uh, statement here, assertion by Paul. And we'll show how it's related to the previous uh, first declarative statement. And then on uh, Saturday, we'll wrap up our study of verse 3 by noting the prepositional phrase, in the heavenly realms in Christ. So we'll be noting that on Saturday, what that's all about. And uh, so uh, just before we get into it, I was, as many of you know, I'm, I'm the pastor also of Doctrine Bible Church here in Huntsville, Alabama, where I'm broadcasting, which is about a half mile down from the church. And if you're ever interested uh, to come, to, you're in Huntsville or you're in the area somewhere, pop by. We're at uh, Doctrine Bible Church at 1215 Russell Street, Northeast in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, the address is on our Winston.org page. In fact, you can listen to all those classes. We don't videotape them yet, but the, uh, the recordings, the audio recordings, you can listen to them. through. Uh, go to our website. You'll see Listen to Bible Classes at Doctrine Bible Church, and there'll be links to the different series that we're doing, and it'll take you to our Faith by Sermons website, which keeps all our MP3, MP4 recordings. And then you can also go to iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, and search under Winston Bible Ministries. You'll see these lessons, and they'll say that they were broadcasted uh, at Doctrinal Bible Church in Huntsville, Alabama. So uh, so anyways, I, I was talking to the, uh, the congregation last night before we uh, continue our study of uh, Doctrine of Inspiration, which we're currently teaching on Wednesday evenings, and on Sundays we're teaching on the book of Obadiah. And I, I figured I'd talk about it today. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of discussion out there, especially in social media, where this thing is kind of blown up. Um, is that uh, this um, the college down there in Kentucky it was Asbury? Uh, I mean, forgive me if I mispronounced it, but the the college down there in Kentucky, and there's a lot of young people evidently, and there, you know, there's a lot of video and people, you know, they're you know, taking their phones and recording what's going on, and you have a, you know an auditorium full of people, and they for days straight they were singing different Christian songs and everything, and so I wanted to discuss that because people are talking about revival. I'm just going to talk about it for a few minutes, but. Uh, as they did last evening. So, you know, we were, everybody obviously, you know, that is a Christian wants to see a resurgence of Christianity in America and its influence. And uh, that's what people mean by revival, really. Uh, it's obviously, everybody knows it's, our influence in, the, in, in America is, is, is slipped greatly. We're not, uh, uh, we're not what Christians, uh, Christian community's influence is not as powerful as it used to be. And there's a lot of reason for that because of the influx of the last 25, 30 years of people who are from other countries that don't have a Judeo-Christian background like the early uh, settlers of America were. Uh, and uh, they were fleeing the persecution from the, uh, with the Reformation. So anyways, so when people talk about, I just want, you know, when people talk about revival, you know, one of the things that you need to understand is if you look at the book of Acts, look at the Paul's epistles, but everything starts with the word of God. So I would say if there is a revival going on, it's going to start with the communication of the Word of God, not singing a bunch of songs, Christian songs. Even though they're Christian songs, you're trying to honor the Lord. You might be honoring the Lord by singing those songs. I don't doubt that. And uh, I'm sure, you know, I hope, you know, they said people are getting saved. 
Well, the only way they're getting saved is they're given the gospel. And, you know, you got to tell them that they're under the wrath of God. And, and the only way, the good news is that you don't have to face the wrath of God in the lake of fire forever, but trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, uh, and to believe that he's your Savior, you must believe that he's both God and man, that he rose from the dead. Because he's the mediator between God and man, and also his resurrection uh, vindicated him and demonstrated the Father was, uh, uh, accepted his work on the cross for our for us sinners. And so also people, if you're going to have revival, you have to disciple people. Uh, they, they must get their spiritual food. Man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So all the clips I'm seeing are basically singing. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an emotional scene, obviously. And everybody, I, I love, those who know me, I love music. I write my own Christian music half a year, so I'm not against music. And I don't have, and I think you can teach, you know, you read Colossians 3.16, you can, you know, the early church taught with music in the Old Testament Israel. So, and the Psalms are all lyrics to songs, right? So I get that. But the problem is, if you don't have the communication of the Word of God, and the, you know, I don't see any videos of a guy up there teaching the Word of God. I just don't see that. Now, maybe they're doing that, smaller groups. Hey, great. But why, why, isn't, a, why isn't it a big gathering like that? Why do people gather to hear a guy teach the Word of God? See, that's the question. I, I, the problem going on in America, people don't want to hear that in America because we have the dumbing down in America. And I don't, I'm not saying that, I mean, I'm, I say pray for these people. There are a lot of young people. I'm sure God could do something in this situation, and he is, I'm sure. I, I'm, one thing I thought was quite fascinating is one clip the, the person was uh, recording that uh, they were trying to cast out a demon. Like this one, like, seriously? So why don't you just give the person the gospel and the demon will flee them? <laughs> you know, if they believe in, the, in Jesus Christ as the Savior, when you give them the gospel, goodbye to the demon. So what's good if you, you, you what if you, let's say you couldn't, and I, I'm, and I know that they can't, okay? There was a reason why Jesus and the apostles were allowed to cast out demons, okay? To, to vindicate the fact that they were from, uh, validate that they were from God, speaking from God. So I would say, okay, so you, you, let's say you, for, hypothetically, you could cast out that demon. Now the person's still going to go to the lake of fire because they're unsaved. <laughs> so they were demon-possessed. Only unbelievers can be demon-possessed, not a believer. So you got to give them the gospel. What goes to casting out a demon? Again, this is just more of this emotionalism is what I'm seeing. And uh, from all the clips, maybe there's more going on. I don't see it. I'm not, again, I'm, I'm qualifying everything I'm saying. So I'm not trying to be, you know, negative and, and trying to, you know, throw water on the fire, you know. I'm just saying, hold on. When you talk about character, you know, about uh, revival. Here's the other thing. Not only does the word of God have to be taught and uh, every great revival in history was always because of the word of God. In fact, the church began with the teaching of the word of God. Peter gave the gospel to the Jews. 3,000 get saved. And then we read immediately in Acts 2.42 to the end of the chapter, what were they emphasizing? They taught in the temple every day. The apostles' teaching came first. So if you don't have teaching of the word of God, and the you know, you know you got a revival when they pack out a church to hear the word of God. Then when you see, show me a video of a guy up there teaching the word of God. You know, not singing a song and, you know, everybody jumping up and down, the kids having a good time. That's great. I like to have a good time too. You know, I like to, if I could, I'd like to do somersaults down the middle of the aisle like uh, the Blues Brothers did in that movie, <laughs> the Blues Brothers movie. But I can't, I'd throw out my back. So, you know, give me a, give me a video of a guy who's teaching with an auditorium of 10,000 people teaching the Word of God. Now, I'm not talking about Joel Osteen, who can pack out Dodger Stadium, and he's the Christian Tony Robbins who doesn't teach the Word of God, doesn't even mention the cross. 
So give me that. You show me that. I'll tell you that you got, you probably do have a revival going on. And I'll mention this again. I said this last night. Where I came from was Northern Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, in the 1980s and in the, two, the 1990s and into the 2000s, I say where I was going to church, there definitely was some kind of revival going on. I'll tell you why. Because, and it just hit me not too long ago. Most of you know I got ordained by Bob McLaughlin in Somerset, Massachusetts. We were, you know, he was at one time at East Bay, and then he was in Rehoboth, Mass., then he went to Somerset, where he is now. Now, I remember him teaching Tuesday, when I was there every night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday evening in our Bible class. Sunday morning and Sunday evening. He did that for years. Uh, Bob Thiem, who he got ordained from, was telling him to cut back on the number of times he, he was teaching a week. <laughs> he should have, and he finally did. So, you, so we would have, and they, we were primarily all Catholics, former Catholics. That's, and so what I'm saying is that when you have, and people would show up on a Tuesday night, you'd have 150 people there. Are you kidding me? Maybe taught that often, and, and there was always people there. And I'm not just talking a, a handful of people. You always had pretty good crowds, and there was a bunch of us who were, used to be Catholics, and we were into the Word of God, and it, we were serving. We were we, our character had changed. We were you know we didn't have we we weren't a perfect church. That's for sure. We were sinners saved by grace, right? Like the song said. But there was definitely something going on there, in his ministry there, and he it was uh, it was definitely because. That's when you know you got revival. I mean, we, here was Massachusetts, not a hotbed of Christianity in the 20th century, as it used to be when this country started. And then we had that going on, and nobody knew about Nobody was talking about it. And nobody knew about that. But that took place. That's something that some people might want to investigate that sometime. I mean, we had problems, no doubt about it, but not for years, you know, we were, you know, getting the Word of God out, and people would come to hear the Word of God, you know. So... You know, it, it, character is a big thing. Do people's priorities change? Do they, their perspective on life change? Are they able to sa- solve their problems? Are they practicing the command to love one another? That's when you know the Christian community needs the revival in the sense, not just to add the numbers, but to take what we already have as Christians and people getting to know their Bible and putting it into practice and not just showing up for Sunday, putting on a good show, and then going for the rest of the week living like the rest of the world does. And I see many Christians over the years, including my, in my own ministries, they have compartmentalized their Christianity. Got the Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week, I live like a son of a gun. It was just what we did in the, when we were in the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of Catholics are like that. Be good on Sunday, but on the rest of the week, we're living like the rest of the world. So hold your horses about this revival here. You know, Pray for them. There are, many of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to pray for them and, uh, and then, you know, and pray that uh, God would raise a positive volition to the Word of God. People want to hear the Word of God and put it into their practice, into their lives. That's when we're going to have a revival, you know, a resurgence of Christianity and an influence of Christianity in the public discourse, in the way, the way we do things and uh, the way the country uh, operates. So that's what I wanted to say about that. And uh, so, um, again, pray for the situation, of course. So let's uh, take a moment of silent prayer, as is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired 
And so that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. If there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your word. We thank you so much for the grace, the faith, the salvation, your work on our behalf in eternity past, the personal work of your Son of the Cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. We pray, Father, that uh, he would continue to do a mighty work in this ministry, and I just pray, Father, for um, today that uh, you'll be able, by the power of the Spirit, you would help me to communicate your your full counsel to your people. Be humble and sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction and communicate accurately and uh, your word and with reverence and respect and power. And I pray the Spirit would use me mightily to, so that your people can understand what your will is for their lives. Help them by the power of the Spirit and the audience to learn, understand, apply, enjoy what they're being taught. Break down any barriers, please, that Satan and the sin nature might put up that would hinder that from happening. I pray there'll be no problems with the recordings, the video, and the audio, and uploading these things to our various websites, podcasts, the media platforms that you've given to us. I thank you for them, and I pray they would continue to use them mightily and protect them from the evil one. And I also thank you for the streaming video, live video by YouTube, and uh, and thank you for those who are taking advantage of it. And also, Father, I pray for our country. I pray, Father, for President Biden and his uh, cabinet and his family, the executive, judicial, legislative branches of our federal, state, local governments, and military, doctor, nurses, uh, EMTs, firefighters in the public realm, uh, those serve the public. I just pray, Father, that you give our leaders the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country. I also pray for this situation down in Kentucky and now at Baylor University, it looks like, and maybe probably other places. I just pray, Father, that uh, your word would be proclaimed, Bible doctrine, sound doctrine be communicated to the church, to disciple members of the church, and also the gospel to for the unsaved so that they can get saved and, and join our number and become children of God through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for uh, help uh, those in the Christian community to pray for our country and to raise up positive volition, people who are positive to the Word of God and want to learn it and put it into practice in their life and uh, be a, an invisible hero with invisible impact in, uh, the, their, in their families, their neighborhoods, their country, internationally, and also in the angelic realm. So, Father... We pray for these people and things in our Lord and, in this service, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. If you haven't turned there already, please go to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and we're continuing our study of Ephesians, and we're in verse 3. It's going to take us three hours to get through uh, Ephesians 1, 3. We took, uh, took um, a look at, the, in detail, the first declarative statement in verse 3. And uh, today we'll be looking at the second one, and then the prepositional phrase with reference to the, in the heavenlies in, in this verse, we'll be looking at that uh, on uh, this Saturday. And so uh, this epistle, as we pointed out in our introduction, uh, for those who are new to this study, and there's always new, always new people coming in, whether it's through the podcast, the websites, or whatever. So quickly by way of view, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter approximately 60, between 60 and 62 A.D. during his first Roman imprisonment where he was under house arrest waiting his appeal before Caesar. 
And uh, it was written to not only the Christian community in Ephesus, but also uh, the various Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia, which we would call today Turkey. And uh, so in verse 1, uh, the Apostle Paul identifies himself as the author. Uh, remember, uh, Paul and the church, the early church, did not accept pseudonymous writings, as some say this letter is a pseudonymous uh, uh, letter. Uh, somebody posing as Paul because they revere Paul. They want to increase his fame. But we saw that Tertullian mentioned in On Baptism, his work on baptism, that a man tried to uh, uh, increase the fame of Paul, revered Paul, posed as Paul, writing to another church, and they threw him out as a pastor. So they didn't accept it. Paul didn't accept it. We saw that in Second Thessalonians, Colossians chapter four. You know, Paul was uh, didn't want anybody posing as him. That's what he thinks might have happened with the day of the Lord being taught uh, in, in, in Thessalonica, where someone said the day of the Lord was taking place in their day and age, and Paul said no. And even if someone writes a letter allegedly from us, do not accept that. That's why he says this is my authenticating mark at the end of the letter because he wanted to protect against forgery. So the church never accepted pseudonymous material. And so the recipients of this letter, we know that were not only the Ephesian Christian community, but uh, those uh, Christians uh, throughout the Roman province of Asia. We know this because there's no personal greetings in this letter to start off with, which we would expect because Paul spent three years in Ephesus, uh, Acts 18, 19, and 20, make that clear. And yet we don't see that. And also in the best and earliest manuscripts that we have, the prepositional phrase in Ephesus is not there. In fact, um, there's a man named Martian, one of the ancients, he saw the same letter and it was addressed to the Laodiceans. So it was a circular letter. And so uh, it started off, it was delivered to Ephesus. Most of the copies are, were survived, came out, came out of Ephesus because that was Paul's uh, place of operations, his headquarters for the Roman province of Asia, and then letters were sent to Laodicea, that's what Martian saw that letter, and all throughout those various cities, like the seven churches of Asia that we see in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And then we have a Spirit-inspired greeting for the recipients of this letter in verse 2. Uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was conveying to the, the, the recipients of this letter a Spirit-inspired prayer that he had for them, and he wanted the grace of God, uh, and, uh, which would result in peace in and among the recipients of this letter, be, to be manifested when they obey the contents of this letter. And so grace was in the form of Paul's spirit-inspired contents of this letter, Ephesians. And then we say, we saw in the first statement of verse 3 that the, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Father, was worthy of praise uh, because, of his certain, because of his attributes that he possesses, and he's worthy of praise. And then we're starting to know the reasons why he's worthy of praise. And uh, we saw that uh, this, this uh, preface, which is in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, uh, is a doxology, and it, it, uh, it's a, it, tri it contains a triadic pattern. In fact, verse 3 contains a triadic pattern, as we'll see. And so that means that uh, the, all three members of the Trinity are mentioned in verses 3 through 14. In verses 3 through 6, we have the Father. Uh, he's worthy of praise because of electing us and predestinating us to be conformed to the image of his Son, or, or to be adopted as sons. And then, then we see in, at, in verses 7 through 12, uh, the Father is worthy of our praise because of the work of His Son in redeeming us at the cross. And then verses 13 and 14 address the work of the Holy Spirit at our justification, where he, the Father is worthy of praise because of the work of the Holy Spirit at our justification. So this is a tremendous, it's in, in Greek, it's, it, we would say in English it's a run-on sentence, but it makes perfect Greek. Uh, it was not unusual for the Greeks, the Greco-Roman culture, when they wrote letters to pile on prepositions and participles like Paul does in this letter. 
it makes it's good Greek and it's uh, difficult for English speaking people and it's difficult to translate. But I think the modern translations have done a really good job in, in doing that. So this is a tremendous letter, the, the Paul's epistle to the Ephesians or the, the Christian community in the Roman province of Asia. So the church should be, it's been a very popular uh, letter throughout the centuries uh, in Christianity and I'm really pleased to be able to teach this particular letter and study it in detail. And so uh, if you look at the, uh, if you could, let's look at the, um, the, the Net Bible's translation of the first 14 verses and then we'll look at my translation of the first 14 verses as well and then concentrate on verse 3. So we, we get verse 3 in its context. So it says in verse 1, again, I'm reading from the Net Bible, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And uh, we'll be noting this prepositional phrase in the heavenly realms in Christ on these two prepositional phrases on Saturday. Then it says in verse 4, here's the reason why, for he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight. In love he did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. In him, his dearly loved son, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the secret of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of the times, the millennial reign, to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession, since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope, set our hope on Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who, the promised Holy Spirit, is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, if I may, let me read my translation of these same verses. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the saints who are living in Ephesus, specifically to those who are believers in Christ Jesus. May the grace originating from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ resulting in peace cause itself to be manifested for the benefit of each and every one of you. Verse 3. The God, namely the Father of, our, of the Lord, ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise. Namely, because He, the Father, is the one who has blessed each and every one of us as a corporate unit by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. For He chose us, each and every one of us, for His own purpose because of Him alone, before creation, in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in His judgment. He did this by predestinating us to each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself according to the pleasure of his will. This was for the purpose of praising his glorious grace which he freely bestowed on each and every one of us because of the one who is divinely loved. Because of whom, Christ, each of us are experiencing that which is the redemption through his blood namely the forgiveness of our transgressions according to his infinite grace. Then in verse 8 he says, 
He says this, he provided, the Father provided this in abundance for the benefit of each and every one of us because of the exercise of wisdom, which is absolute and divine in nature, resulting in the manifestation of an insight, which is absolute and divine in nature. And then in verse nine, he says, he did this by revealing the mystery of his will for the, for the benefit of each and every one of us, according to his pleasure, which he planned beforehand because of our faith in and union and identification with himself. This, he says, was for the dispensation, which brings to completion the various periods of history, namely to unite for the benefit of himself, each and every animate and inanimate object in the sphere of the sovereign authority of the person of the one and only Christ specifically to unite for the benefit of himself those things in the heavens as well as those things on the earth and the sphere of the sovereign authority of himself because of whom each and every one of us have been claimed as a possession because of having been predestinated according to the predetermined plan, namely the one who is causing each and every animate and inanimate object to function according to his purpose, that is his sovereign will in order that each and every one of us would belong to a particular group of people, namely those who are certain of possessing a confident expectation of blessing because of their faith in and union identification with the only Christ, one and only Christ, for the purpose of praising his glory, the Father's glory. And then in verses 13 and 14, Paul says, correspondingly, because of whom Christ, each and every one of you were sealed by means of the omnipotence of the one and only promised spirit, who is holy because each and every one of you obeyed the one and only message, which is truth, namely the proclamation of the one and only gospel, uh, which, uh, one and only gospel, which produced your salvation when you had faith in it, specifically because each one of you believed in him. The spirit is the down payment of our inheritance, our inheritance until he redeems his possession for the praise of his glory. So, uh, verse 3 contains two declarative statements. If you look at uh, my translation again in verse 3, the God, namely the Father of the Lord, ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, possesses certain inherent attributes which are worthy of praise, namely because he's the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So Ephesians 1.3, as we pointed out on Tuesday, contains two declarative statements. The first is elliptical. It's missing a verb, and that's not unusual. Uh, this figure of ellipsis appears in all languages. And so the first is elliptical, and the second is epexegetical. It's explaining the first, the second is. So the first the st declarative statement, as we pointed out, and have seen in our translation, my translation and the, the Net Bible, asserts that the Father is worthy of praise in the sense that he possesses attributes which are worthy of praise. The second identify specifically for the reason for the reader why the father is worthy of praise and it asserts that he is the one who has blessed Paul and recipients of this epistle by means of each and every kind of spirit appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ now as we noted the second declarative statement in verse 3 is epexegetical which means that it identifies specifically for the reader why the father is worthy of praise and it asserts that he is the one again who has blessed Paul and the recipients of this letter by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Now, in this declarative statement, uh, the referent of the accusative first-person plural form of the personal pronoun ego, which I translate each and every one of us, uh, in this second declarative statement is Paul and the recipients of this epistle. And the latter, we noted, 
uh, were not only members of the Christian community at Ephesus, but also members of the various Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia. So this word not only speaks of Paul and the members of the Christian community as a corporate unit, but it's also used in a distributive sense, emphasizing no exceptions. So the latter, therefore, the distributive sense here is expressing the idea that the Father has blessed each and every Christian, or we could say in this context, each and every one of the recipients of this epistle and Paul with no exceptions whatsoever. So all of us as Christians are blessed. Now in America, you don't say, may, you know, may God bless you. And I, I you know, I, I get that. You, it's, you know, that God, I would, I, if I was going to be a wise guy, and I know some people like that, I would say, I'm already am blessed, you know? And every, you know, when you, when you have fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through obedience to the Word and keep short accounts with God, confess your sins, and maintain that fellowship by obedience to what the Spirit's teaching us in Scripture, you're actually appropriating those blessings of your union identification with Christ. Uh, when, when people think of blessings, they're thinking about material stuff, I find, even evangelical Christians for sure, especially in America because we're so materialistic and the world is rubbed off on the, ch on the church in many ways. Um, the greatest blessing we have is our salvation, our, our, eternal our eternal relationship and fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I put a, I put a quote out there on Facebook, and I don't usually do it. Like, usually I little snippets from different uh, devotionals I have. And um, so I, I put out this thing like, uh, you know, um, what was about, about my most valuable possession is my faith in Jesus. Money can't save me from the wrath of God. You know, uh, what, nothing I possess can save me from the wrath of God except faith in Jesus Christ. So therefore, my most valuable possession I have is my faith in Jesus Christ, my eternal relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I say, what's your most valuable possession? See, you know, I, you know, I, have, I have these guitars, I have clothes, I have, I have a rent, I'm rented a house, I never, I've never really owned a house in my life, never have, and I lived in apartments. And so I got a car, it's leased, you know, I have, so I'm not like a rich guy, but you know, even if I was as rich as Rockefeller or Bill Gates, really this, at, at the end of the day, it's temporal and it's trans it's not transitory. It's not going to be around forever. It's going to be gone. Either I'm going to be taken away from it or it's going to be taken away from me. You know, I mean, we could be nuked at any time. <laughs> I mean, it just like, it's so, we're so, in, it's so insane when you think about it. It's like, yeah, the most valuable thing I have is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, listen to me. It, it's never, it, it, it really hits home. Like when my brother Kenny passed away in November, that was a, a very, big shock to the family. He's, he was only 55. And um, so he, had, he got cancer, he had, and it was difficult to watch him suffer as in, uh, he was, and um, it was terrible, you know? And he, and he got diagnosed at the, in August of 2022? No, 2021? Yeah. And a year later, he was, a little over a year later, he was gone. And uh, so, well, I think a lot of people just, and, and, and I was surprised he went so, it, went, it happened so quick. I mean, when I left for Alabama, I, you know, I knew it, uh, he was in trouble because it, the cancer had come back after doing the chemo and the radiation. It came back and very quickly. It was very aggressive. And I believe he, where he was working in his life, he did hazardous waste cleanup stuff. And I think he was talking to people and the guy who got in the job, I think he probably took some chances that he shouldn't and they didn't know enough stuff back then. So he probably got something that's amazing. It's a blessing that he lived as long as he did and didn't get it when he was younger. 
So he, but it was tough. It was tough, and it's still tough. I still miss him, and um, but I know I'll see him again. But here's the thing: that when that happens, stuff like that happens. I'm so thankful that you know I am saved. <laughs> That's the greatest thing. I don't care about this stuff. It's gonna, you know, I I know it's just another signal to me. You know, you know, get ready because you'll be going soon. Whether the rapture's coming or the Lord, my death is coming. I know it's coming, and eventually. I'll be going home too. But th this is all that really, my relationship with God is my most, most valuable thing. My, the word of God, don't you can take away everything from me, but don't take away the word of God. <laughs> don't, the Lord, don't take it that, and he's not going to. He never has, because I, I got his word. That's I, my most valuable possession is, is the words he speaks to me in scripture. And it gets me through all kinds of adversities. It allows me to transcend the circumstances, adversities in my life, and I've been through a lot of stuff. I could write a book, and most of you don't. Some of you know some of the stuff out there, that, the friends of mine, but there's a lot of stuff you don't know that I've never talked about in public, just privately to, to certain individuals, but very difficult stuff. I'm not trying to, like, you know, oh, how long he, wow, this guy. So, no, I'm just telling you that it's true. The Lord knows when I'm speaking the truth. He's put me through some stuff, but it, it what happened is, it's made me appreciate my fellowship, my relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It makes me appreciate the value of God's Word. And it's my most valuable possession is the Word of God, you know, and God and what God says to me in the Scripture. So, um, you know, I, I just, that's, you know, we talk about blessings. It's the, our union identification with Christ is where all the blessings are. It's in, in Christ and our union identification with him. So, yes, there's temporal blessings and we're going to have temporal blessings in the millennial reign and all in the new heavens and new earth, but the most valuable thing is uh, is the word of God that we have. If man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, we see in the second declarative statement, we have the verb eulogeo, as we pointed out, which I translate namely because he, the Father, is the one who has blessed. And uh, that's how I translate it. So, this particular verb, as we pointed out, is expressing the idea of imparting to Paul and the recipients of this letter, and of us, of course, in the church age, all of us, non-meritorious benefits in Christ and eternity past before the foundation of the world. Non-meritorious means that we didn't earn and deserve these things. The Father bestowed these things upon us at our justification because of who His Son is and what He did for us and our, the merits, because of the merits of our union identification with Him. They receive these blessings. They receive based upon the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, as well as based upon the merits of our union identification with him. These blessings were received by us uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit at our justification when we got converted. Now, we pointed out the aorist tense of this verb, yologeo, is a consummative aorist. It's, and that's important theologically because it's emphasizing this consummative aorist. It emphasizes the cessation of an act. And here, it's emphasizing the cessation of the act of the Father imparting non-meritorious blessings to Paul and each of the recipients of this letter in eternity past and not at the moment of justification. And this is indicated by the contents of Ephesians 1.4, which we read, which gives the reason for the two statements in verse 3. The, the former, we pointed out, verse 4, asserts that the Father elected each of them in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, the Father blessing the church-age believer is related to his electing the church-age believer in eternity past in Christ before the foundation of the world. However, these blessings were appropriated by the church-age believer at the moment of our justification when we were declared justified by the Father 
through faith in his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the participle conjugation of this verb, eulogetmo, is extremely important to understand because it's functioning here as what we call in Greek grammar a causal participle, which means that it indicates the cause or the reason or the ground of the action of the finite verb. Now, the participle conjugation of this verb is following its controlling verb, which is omitted, but implied due to Paul's use of the figure of ellipsis. So the, the finite verb is missing, but it's implied. It's the word amy. So, in fact, specifically, it's the third person singular present active indicative conjugation of the verb amy, which means to, in this context, as a wide semantic range, it means to possess certain inherent characteristics or attributes which exist in a particular state. So therefore, with Yulogetto being a causal participle and the meaning of this verb, amy, which is omitted but implied to, uh, from the context, therefore this causal participle use of the verb Yulogetto is expressing the idea that the Father is worthy of praise because he has blessed Paul and each one of the recipients of this letter by means of every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So here in Ephesians 1, 3, the main verb, amy, as we noted, is in the present tense. And so therefore, the aorist participle conjugation of the verb eulogetto would be antecedent in time. When that aorist tense is uh, following up the present tense of the main verb, what we see is that the participle is talking about something that's antecedent in time. So consequently, this is expressing the idea that the Father is worthy of praise because before an eternity passed, he blessed each and every church-age believer by means of every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So, uh, so we have uh, the, the causal participle there. And if you look at my translation and bring it out for you again of Ephesians 1-3, the God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise. Here's the reason why. Here's the epigenetical clause. Namely, because he is the one, the Father is one, who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So, the first reason why the Father is worthy of praise, the second declarative statement says, because he has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. In other words, because of our union identification with Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. So in this declarative statement, the uh, the noun eulogia, which means blessing, pertains to the non-meritorious blessings that the Father imparted to each and every church-age believer in eternity past when he elected them in Christ before the foundation of the world. So these blessings were appropriated by the church-age believer the moment the Father declared them justified because of their faith in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. In other words, it speaks of the non-meritorious benefits that each and every church-age believer receives at the moment of their justification, their conversion, and describes, this word describes the immaterial nature of these blessings and supernatural aspect of their reality. So, uh, we see that in eternity past, the Father elected us. Uh, election is always an eternity past. It's always used in relation to the believer, never in relation to the non-believer. There's no such thing as double predestination. The Father did not elect the non-Christian to the lake of fire. We know that because he desires all people to be saved. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for not only the sins of the, of the church, but also for the propitiation of the sins of the non-Christian. 1 John 2, 2. 1 Timothy 4, 10. Uh, just to name a few. So, uh, 
this whole election has to do with the believer. It's an eternity past. God elected us in the sense that he elected us to the privilege of having an re eternal relationship and a fellowship with him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he elected us in the person of Christ because he's the last Adam and he's the new humanity, the head of the new humanity. And so we were part of the old humanity when we came into this world. We were spiritually alive yet and physically dead. Uh, physically alive and spiritually dead and need of, under the wrath of God. So when we believed in Christ that our justification, we were in Christ. We be, we're, the Father, united, through the Spirit, united us with Christ and identified us with Him and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. So that was an eternity past. So he, and His omniscience, He looked down the car at a time and saw that we would believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. So He had a plan for us. He elected us. And so when we were justified, at our, when we were declared justified by the Father at our justification, our conversion, that manifested the fact that we were elected in eternity past. Simple as that. So we see that the, this noun, eulogia, blessing, is modified by the adjective pas, which I translate each and every kind of. And because the word here, pas, pertains to the, the totality of non-meritorious blessings, Paul and the recipients of this epistle received from the Father in eternity past in Christ when he elected them in Christ with emphasis upon their individual components. That's why I translated each and every kind. It pertains to the totality of these blessings with emphasis upon their individual components. So this word eulogia, blessing, is also modified by the adjective pneumatikos, which means, and I believe in this context, and I'll explain why, this means spirit appropriated because it pertains to the spiritual nature of the non-meritorious blessings uh, that each and every church age believer received at their justification. So specifically, this word pneumatikos, pneumatikos is, uh, describes these blessings as having been appropriated by the, the Holy Spirit on behalf of the church age believer when the church age believer was declared justified by the Father through faith in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. It also describes these blessings as being appropriated by the Holy Spirit on behalf of the church-age believer when the, the latter, the church-age believer, exercised faith in the Spirit-inspired teaching of the apostles, which now appears in our Greek New Testament. So this word, pneumatikos, uh, pneumatikos, it's, it, it's translated spiritual in most of the modern translations. Uh, look at... Uh, the Net Bible. It says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual. There's the word pneumatikos. And uh, this word uh, is, is translated spiritual by them. In fact, the NIV, uh, they do the same thing. Spiritual. The ESV, uh, they have uh, they have spiritual as well. In fact, I'm pretty sure all of them do, all the modern translations. Let me see if I look at some of these here that someone might descent from them I uh, don't see anything they're pretty I think they're all pretty much spiritual I'm just looking through here all these translations yeah so it's pretty much the modern translations translated spiritual but I believe it's uh, talking about the Holy Spirit now, let, me, let me give me a quote from a man named um, Gordon Fee and uh, he's a great scholar he was a Pentecostal and uh, and he was quite a scholar textual criticism, everything theology. And listen to what he has to say about this word. Gordon Feet, and I'm, this is from my notes that'll be on Ephesians 1, 3, that'll be put on our website shortly. He writes, Gordon Feet writes, uh, and the thing is, keep his, him and his family in prayer, he, came, uh, he was diagnosed with uh, a dementia not, uh, last year, I think a couple years ago, so he retired, and uh, so I, I, 
I feel for his family because that's when my mother has dementia, so it's very difficult in the family, and also him, of course, but uh, because he was a very intelligent man, and and uh, when you lose your, your mind like that, it's very difficult, and so it's a lot of anxiety there. So uh, keep him and his family in prayer. So Gordon Fee writes the following, that the use of this adjective, pneumatikos, uh, rather than the genitive use of the word spirit, indicates that the emphasis is on the nature of the blessings rather than the source. So that's what he's talking about. When they translate it spiritual, he's saying that uh, it, it, they're emphasizing the nature of the blessings rather than their source. But having said that, Fee says, that the blessings are those that properly pertain to the life of the spirit. One is not very far away from describing their source as well. What is not helpful is the translation spiritual quote-unquote, to describe the nature of these blessings because, as he says, that word is almost always understood over against an antonym of some kind in a way that spirit is not. Thus, it is understood to refer to heavenly blessings vis-a-vis earthly or spiritual, vis-a-vis material or secular or worldly. On the contrary, this is Paul's way of expressing in condensed form what he spells out further in this letter and everywhere else, that the spirit is the present means whereby God appropriates to the believer, to the believing community, the blessings that flow from the redemptive work of Christ, end of quote. And that's from his work, Empowering Presence, the Holy Spirit, and the Letters of Paul. And I highly recommend it for those people who are serious students of the Word of God, that are like pastors or scholars, I definitely recommend that. So the word, I believe, should be translated um, Spirit, talking about the, the Holy Spirit, capital S. So again, let me give you my notes here on the board. Uh, we have this word pneumatikos, pneumatikos, excuse me, which means, I believe, spirit appropriated because it pertains to the spiritual nature of the non-meritorious blessings each and every church-age believer received at their justification. Specifically, it describes these blessings as having been appropriated by the Holy Spirit on behalf of the church-age believer when the believer was declared justified by the Father through faith in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. It also describes these blessings as being appropriated by the Holy Spirit on behalf of the church-age believer when the latter exercised faith in the Spirit-inspired teaching of the apostles, which now appears in our Greek New Testament. So this faith produces obedience to the various Spirit-inspired requests, prohibitions, and commands which appear in this Spirit-inspired teaching. So therefore, this adjective, uh, which is translated spiritual by the modern translations, and I don't, I dissent, I agree with V. This adjective, pneumatikos, uh, it should be translated spirit appropriated. It's used here by Paul in verse 3 for the spirit because these blessings are appropriated by the spirit at the church age believer's justification. So, in other words, when the minute you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior at your conversion, your justification. So the Father declares you justified at that moment. Okay, You have eternal security. And simultaneously, the Holy Spirit identifies you with Jesus Christ in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. And so, therefore, God views you in those events in Jesus' life because those events in Jesus' life provided your soul great salvation and sanctification. So now, uh, so the Holy Spirit at that moment is appropriating the benefits of Christ's crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father. Okay, deliverance from sin and Satan's cosmic system, personal sins, physical death, spiritual death, condemnation from the law enslavement to sin and Satan is cosmic system, the Holy Spirit has appropriated this deliverance, these blessings that we have for us at our justification. Now, the word for blessing there, which is in the dative case, this word eulogia, blessing, is the object of the preposition N, which indicates 
that uh, Paul and each one of the recipients of this letter have been blessed by the Father by means of, quote-unquote, each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing. So therefore, this adjective, panumatikos, a spirit-appropriated, is identifying that each and every kind of blessing is the direct result of the work of the Holy Spirit at the moment of the church-age believer's justification through faith in the Father's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. So we have in verse 3 a triadic pattern. Three members of the Trinity are being mentioned in verse 3. The Father blessed them with every kind of blessing which are received through the work of the Spirit, which took place the moment the Father declared the church-age believer justified through faith in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. They're experienced after their justification when they exercise faith in the Spirit-inspired teaching of the apostles, which is now again found in our New Testament. This post-justification faith produces obedience to the various Spirit-inspired requests, prohibitions, and commands which are found in this Spirit-inspired teaching. So, the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son are all mentioned in this particular verse and throughout the, the, the doxology in verses 3 through 14, the preface of the letter, the introduction to the letter, or the introduction to the body of the letter. So uh, the Holy Spirit, he's, uh, you know, uh, he has done a good job and of course the Pentecostal movement is really emphasizes the work of the Spirit and, uh, but he is not your typical Pentecostal um, but he is, uh, he's very uh, sound in his, he was very sound in his, in his, his exegesis and his, 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 he's a great uh, textual critic too, by the way, he's great textual criticism, I've read some of his stuff, but he's very, his theology, so he's very, um, uh, one of the great scholars of the 20th century, I believe, and uh, so he, he sees what I, I see what, he, when he said this, when I looked at this passage, you know, um, I was thinking the Holy Spirit here. I don't know why. I was like, why is it always translated, you know, I can see why they translate it as an adjective spiritual. But um, actually, uh, the Holy Spirit, like Fee said, is behind this whole thing. He's, he's the one, he's appropriating these blessings that, uh, that uh, the church, church-age believer receives. So that's very important that we, uh, just looking through my notes here, there was a quote I was going to show you, but... Um, we're not going to bother. So the Holy Spirit is uh, is obviously a, a big player in our lives. So uh, as the third member of the Trinity, by the way, when I say second member of the Trinity for the Lord Jesus Christ, or third member of the Trinity uh, for the Holy Spirit, there's a reason why people say that in theology. It's 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 related to the doctrine of the procession. Uh, we studied this in, the, in our series on Trinity here at, D, at DVC, and also when I taught it, you know, um, I don't know if I taught it back then. I did it at, uh, in Marion, Iowa. But anyways, uh, the Son is the, called the second member of the Trinity, Trinity because he proceeded from the Father. And then the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. So remember, he was, uh, on, on, he was promised the Holy Spirit in the Upper Room Discourse of John uh, 13 through 17, those chapters, the Holy Spirit, the, Father, uh, the Son promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to be their paraclete, uh, their, um, their um, mentor and teacher, with them and he permanently indwell them forever and uh, he would mediate the presence of Christ he would help them understand uh, the, the the word of Christ and he would be able to uh, appro- appropriate uh, through faith the blessings that come through faith in Jesus Christ he'd be help them understand the scriptures he reproduce the character of Christ and life the fruit life the fruit of the spirit so he's promised that and 40 days after his you know his re- resurrection ascension and session at the right hand of the father 10 days later 
On the day of Pentecost in June of 33 AD approximately, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers for the first time, and the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Spirit identified us with Christ. As I said before in previous classes, in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection session of the right hand of the Father, and that's mentioned quite a bit in Romans as we pointed out. We read that the other day. Ephesians chapter, this book of Ephesians talks about that union identification with Christ and how it applies to our lives spiritually in dealing with sin and temptation to sin and also giving us victory in the angelic conflict. And also uh, Colossians chapters 2 and 3 talk about it as well. So and in other places Paul used it. But so those are the major chapters. So it's uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, the, the one that is uh, inspired the scriptures He's, as we're seeing in our doctrine of inspiration on Wednesday evenings at DVC. So he inspires the scriptures and he helps us understand the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 2, and make proper application. He guides, in the app, guides us in the application of these things that we're learning from the Spirit. And then he's reproducing the character of Christ in our lives when we are having faith and obedience to God's Word, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, which reveals the Father's will. So that's the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of light, you know, the character of Christ. So that's why I say, if you're going to talk about revival, you, if you're going to have... You have to have manifestation of godly character, and that can only come about by obeying the Holy Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures, which He's inspired in the Holy Spirit's revealing in Scripture the Father's will for our lives and the consequences of doing His will, rewards for faithful service of the Bema Seed, the consequences of not doing His will, which is loss of rewards of the Bema Seed. He's telling us, through the Spirit's telling us in the Word of God, what the Father has done for us in eternity past and what He's and what he's doing, what he did for us at the cross through his son and also through the spirit our justification, what he's doing for us now and what he will do for us in the future. Resurrection body, rewards for faithful service, millennial reign, reigning with Christ, new creation, new creation of new heavens and new earth. This, right now, the spirit, the son, they both uh, intercede for us at the right, uh, the father, as uh, the son's interceding at the right hand of the father for us and the Holy Spirit dwells us and he's interceding for us as well as our, as we uh, speak, so the Holy Spirit is uh, is uh, is a major major play in the church age. In fact, if you look at the Book of Acts, it's all about the work of the Spirit, really, what the Spirit was doing through the apostles, and it all stemmed from the Spirit inspired gospel that is now in our New Testament. So we'll uh, pick this up, uh, this study, and we'll finish off first three on Saturday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Remember, we're in Alabama, so it's Central Time. And uh, whereas you you know go take a hop uh, hop a plane to Atlanta, it's an East Coast time, so we're just right near the timeline difference. So we'll pick it up uh, on Saturday, and good, I'm glad to have you. I hope this was a this class was a good class for you, and it was a blessing for you. Let's close in prayer, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this day to study your Word. We thank you for this uh, subject, in Ephesians one three, in this book. I pray today that today's lesson, the Spirit would use it mightily and help us understand and apply what's being taught and make application in our own lives so that we can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. In His name we pray. Amen.